had to happen for that will of God to come to pass. All right? And so um, one of the amazing things that happens is in the Old Testament uh, story, the story of Israel, when, when God is originally giving the, the, the law, the, um, his instruction, his commandments, he has within the body of those commandments um, specific days, and he called them appointed times, um, that his people were commanded to keep forever. And these specific appointed times are actual dates, actual um, dates on his calendar that come up every year on the same date, and the, and the people of God were supposed to recognize them in the way that he prescribed them, all right? And so there are six of those dates. There were three in the spring and three in the fall. And the three in the spring coincided with major events within the Exodus story. So we're all familiar with the Exodus story. Um, that began with um, the tenth plague, which was the angel of death, and the specific instructions to the Israelites to kill an unblemished lamb and to mark their homes. And if they would do that, if they would be obedient to that command, that the destroyer would pass over their home and, and they would be spared from that the death and and uh, while everyone else in Israel, I mean, in Egypt, lost their firstborn, all the Israelites were spared. And, and, and that was called the Passover. Everyone pretty familiar with Passover? Yeah. We've, we've heard that story. Uh, that, was the, that is the first spring appointed time as Passover. Within the law, the commandments of God, the, his divine, uh, perfect law, the instruction was to honor the Passover, keep the Passover feast every year forever. Why? Because they wanted Israel to remember what God did in the first in the first Exodus story, what God did to to set them free from the of Egypt. Okay, so that was on a specific date. The date is called Nisan 14. For, uh, Nisan was the first month in the Hebrew calendar, and on the 14th day of that month was when they actually killed the lamb and marked their homes. All right. Don't specifically. You don't have to memorize these uh, specific details, but. Um, just so you kind of get familiar with hearing the dates. The next uh, appointed time is kind of a kind of a dual one, but the day after Passover started a appointed time called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it ran for seven days, literally starting the day after Passover. And on these seven days, the Israelites were commanded to do what? Essentially, leave Egypt in haste, right? Because what had, what had happened at, at Passover? That was the final straw that Pharaoh relented and said, go, go, get out of here. Right? So for seven days, they were to only eat bread that had no leaven in it because leaven took time to rise and they didn't have any time to sit around. They were getting out of Egypt. Right? So there's a real practical, um, rememberable, memorable um, commandment there to say, you don't have time, you'll be getting ready to leave Egypt, so you don't even have time for your bread to rise, so you're gonna eat unleavened bread only for these seven days, all right? And it's a commanded, appointed time that God's people were to recognize seven days, starting the day after Passover, there's seven days of eating no unleavened bread. All right, this is all um, gonna lead someplace. In the middle of that um, seven days during the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a single 
um, appointed time called the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, I'm sorry, just the Day of First Fruits. And, and basically, this time always coincides, because it's during the spring, it always coincides with the first spring harvest, right? Barley in particular. And on the, um, on the very first time that the barley harvest is prepared, the first fruits of that harvest, which is basically the first that, it, that comes ready to be, to be reaped, is offered to the Lord. All right, so these uh, two things, Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits, kind of represent the beginning of the spring holy days. And then it leads to um, 50 days directly after Passover. So starting the day after Passover, they count 50 days or seven weeks plus one, and that, and that comes to the, the, the final spring holy day, which is called, um, in Hebrew, Shavuot, or something along that line. Um, and or the Feast of Weeks, they call it the Feast of Weeks because, uh, like I said, it's seven weeks from Passover plus one day. That's where they get 50, um, called the Feast of Weeks. Now, what was happening in the original story at the time of Shavuot? Anyone know? Moses was on. Exactly. So this was specifically the time, if you remember the story, the Israelites had been released from Egypt. They went south, led by the pillar of fire and smoke, down to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind, and the Egyptians follow. God parts the waters. They are delivered through the Red Sea. The waters are um, loosed, and the Egyptians all die. They're now in the wilderness, and um, Moses is invited up onto Mount Sinai by God, and God gives Moses the law. And this happens exactly 50 days after Passover, on a day that God appoints that Israel is to keep, again, forever, 50 days after Passover, you're to keep Shavuot, and you're to remember this is the day that, the, that Father God, the creator of heaven and earth, gave his people the law. Does that make sense? So all of these dates, then God says in the law, the law that he gave Moses on Mount Sinai, um, these dates, he says, you need to keep these, you need to keep these forever, because on each of these days, I've done something significant, I've done something miraculous, and you need to remember these things that I've done and teach them to your kids. Does that make sense? It was God beginning to prepare his people to basically be his people and to remember everything that God was doing to take them into the promised land, to teach them to their kids, to help the kids understand the larger story, the why, who they are, their heritage, all those things. Does that make sense? Um, now, <clears throat> one thing that the Old Testament story teaches us when we get to the end of it, uh, the end of the Old Testament, what is the, you know, what is the net result of the people of God being given God's commandments and invited into covenant relationship with him? How is that relationship by the end of the Old Testament? They don't all believe they're doing anything. Okay, it's garbage. <laughs> right? The, the, the whole Old Testament story um, paints a picture, and this picture is incredibly important in, in the gospel invitation itself. All right, so let, let's paint the picture using these appointed times, which is exactly what they're given to us for. God uses Passover to establish 
with this group of people, the people that he's calling into covenant relationship with himself, you're going to be marked by the blood of a lamb, and that blood is going to save you, right, from an imminent death. You're going to leave the bondage of the life that you were in during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You're going to offer the first fruits of all your harvest from this point forward to the Lord. And exactly 50 days after you are released, I'm going to give you the law. Now, giving the giving of the law is a very significant piece, right? Because what is God in the process of doing what is God in the process of doing with this people group? He's inviting them into covenant relationship with him, right? And so the law ultimately helps uh, God define and establish and create what that relationship is supposed to look like. Does that make sense? It's, it's how, as I've said before, it's how us flesh and blood people relate to and, and show love to an invisible God. It's, it's by walking in his ways, by obeying his commandments, by keeping his statutes and his judgments and his precepts. Right. So when God gives the law to the people of Israel, it's super important that we understand it is not to save them. Right? How do we know that that's the truth? Because they've already been saved. Right? What saved them? The blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing that saved them. So, so God giving the law to them was not for the purpose of saving them. They could not earn their way to that salvation. Right? It also, the, the law did not deliver them, right? They, because they've already been delivered. They were delivered through the Red Sea, again, by the Father's miraculous intervention. So why was the law given? Why was it important for Father God to give to this group of people explicit instructions on almost every area of life? Well, again, it's because he was inviting them into covenant relationship with him. He was to be their God. They were to be his people. And the whole parameters of that relationship is this is how my people live. This is how they walk. This is how they eat. This is how they talk. This is how they marry. This is how they parent. This is how they do every part of life according to, to my instructions. This is God speaking, right? So, so the law, the giving of the law at Shalom is a significant part of this story because without that, you've got you know, a group of, of generational slaves who had been in bondage making bricks for 400 years. Now they're just in the desert. They have no clue how to be a, a, a people group, a community in any way, let alone God's established people, right? So the, so the law being given to them at Shavuot is a huge thing because now they understand what's expected. Now they understand what a relationship with this God looks like. Does that make sense? Super, super important. And that gives context for uh, the passage that we're going to read first in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30. Let's read this passage out loud because, the, and this is just such a critical passage. This is one that you could meditate on this many, 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 many times. And, and, um, and I recommend that you do because it's such a critical passage regarding um, God's word to his people and how uh, obedience to the law is going to affect their life. Alright, so, so there's a group of people at the base of Mount Sinai right here being given by the un uncreated God of the universe written instruction on how to live. And, and to that group of people regarding this instruction on how to live 
God basically makes some very, very clear statements, I would even argue promises, about what obedience to these commandments would, would bring and what disobedience to these commandments would bring. And he kind of summarizes them in, in, this, in these few verses. So this is a really critical um, few verses here. So someone read out loud uh, verses 11 through 20 in Deuteronomy chapter 30. For this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is, beyond, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. Okay. So in the first, th the first part of this passage, God's about ready to make some very, very um, clear statements about obedience or disobedience to his commandments. But before he even gets into that, what does he say regarding his commandments in these first couple of verses? It's not too hard for you. It's right there. Yeah. It's all right there. It's not magical. It's not <laughs> mystical. It's not hidden. It's not difficult. It's not far away. It's literally right in front of you. I freaking wrote it down for you. <laughs> Made it pretty simple. Right? This isn't like divine revelation. You gotta, you got to have a magic ear to hear from God. You know, he's, he's almost being like, you know, I almost figured, almost picture him being like sarcastic even. Bit, yeah. Like, this ain't in heaven where you can't reach it. This ain't across the sea. This is right in front of you. Right? So, go on, right? See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Okay, so huge statements here. Huge statements, um, beginning with, I'm putting my commandments right in front of you, in black and white, not out of reach, at your fingertips, and I'm going to ask you to, to do something that puts all the responsibility on you. In a, in, a, in a word, it's choose. Make a choice. Make a choice. You're going to either choose obedience, and, and you're going to obey my commandments, you're going to walk in my ways, you're going to keep my statutes, my judgments, my precepts, or you're not. You're going to choose disobedience, which is idolatry, which is worshiping other gods. And there's going to be very clear um, consequences. Seems like it's only negative. So what's another word that would that would also represent outcome? Yeah, an outcome. There's going to be a, there's going to be an outcome based on your choice, and and one is going to be 
extremely positive, right? And he, he, he talks about things like blessed, um, long life, I mean, choosing life, that's, that's one result. If you walk in my ways and you keep my commandments and, and you are my people, that's going to that's gonna bring significant blessing upon you, right? But if you choose to not do that, if you choose to not walk in my ways and not keep my commandments, there's also going to be a result. And that result is what? Death. 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 I mean, he, he is so crystal clear about this. One is choosing life. One is choosing death. One is choosing blessings. One is choosing a curse. One is honoring God. One is honoring false gods. It's just that simple. Right? It's all in black and white. It's all right in front of you. There is no deception in God. Right? There's no deception. There's no, there's no lack of clarity. There's only perfect truth and perfect clarity. He just puts it on us. Right? You're going to choose what kind of life you want. Right? Significant promise right here. And we know, uh, as, we, as we've talked about, that despite God's giving at the original Shavuot, everything necessary for the people of God to live an incredible life. Right? Did he not give everything necessary? Yes. He gave them everything they needed, absolutely everything. Right? He made it crystal clear to them that the life that they were going to have was their choice. Right? He defined the parameters of their relationship in such a way that, that they had everything at their fingertips and the choice to make. And by the end of the Old Testament story, both the northern and the southern kingdom are in exile. exile. Idolatry has just run rampant throughout. Um, no obedience, no keeping of these, uh, of these appointed times, no understanding of the will of God, um, only idolatry, only mixing, only you know, garbage. And by the end of the Old Testament, we see um, there is only a need for a Savior. Right? So, so, so you, can't, you can't fully understand the gospel invitation until you understand what God ultimately was looking for regarding his people. Right? So the Old Testament story ends with um, God's people taken into exile, and all we have are these prophetic uh, promises that there would, there would be a, a Messiah to come, right? There would be a Savior that was going to come, and when that Savior came, something significant was going to happen, right? Now, one of the things that, um, that, we, that we need to understand regarding the law Right, the same law that God talks about in Deuteronomy 30, the Bible describes in, in a number of different ways, but one of the things that the Bible, two words that the, that the Bible uses to describe God's law is it says God's law is perfect, and it says God's law is truth. All right? So if God's law is perfect and God's law is truth, one of the things that we need to understand regarding the second covenant is that it did not change God's law. That's super important for you to hear, right? Because that's one of the enemy's major deceptions in the current church, is that in the second covenant, God's law has been changed, right? But God's law, according to God's word, is perfect and it's truth. So how do you change perfect and truth? It would have to be a lie. 
the question or the answer is you don't, yeah. right? You don't change that. And, and in fact, Deuteronomy 4.2 says that if you add one thing or take away one thing from my law, you have committed a sin, right? So the law never, ever, ever changes. It's perfect and it's truth. So, the, so one of the things that we need to understand about the second covenant is that the law was never the issue, right? What was the issue that needed to be dealt with? It was us and idolatry. It was it was man's fallen heart. Yeah. yeah. Right? That was the only issue. God's law, the, the one thing that God's law could not do is transform a human heart. Mm-hmm. Right? That was the major issue that had to get dealt with. That the whole Old Testament story gives us eyes to see that even though we had God's law, his perfect truth given to us. Even though we were given very clear uh, warning, keep it and you'll be blessed, don't and you'll be cursed, that didn't matter. The human heart was too broken to, to be obedient. And that's why you get certain passages in Scripture that says the law to the, to, the un, you know, the, to the unrenewed heart is only death. It's only bondage. Because it is. The law can do nothing with our fallen heart. Right? But the law was never the issue, the, the broken human heart was. Yeah. So, for, for, so for a second covenant to be established, what needed to be dealt with was the human heart. And it was not a fix of the human heart, it was a replacing of the human heart. Right? So this is the understanding of just basic gospel invitation 101. The human heart is what had to be uh, dealt with, and it was not a fixing deal, it was a replacement deal, right? right? So what happens then, um, about, you know, 1,500 years after all of these dates are originally given and commanded to the people of God to keep forever, about 1,500 years later, um, certain events begin to happen and they begin to happen on the exact same dates. Okay, so, so this is, this is um, one of the most incredible, miraculous things in, in the entire Bible, and it's been stolen from us, right? So, so hear me, hear me uh, when I say this. The first thing that had to happen, by the way, is the Messiah had to be born, okay? And that did not happen on December 25th, by the way, okay? That was a counterfeit Jesus, that is totally fine with you using a made-up date to celebrate a made-up birthday with a whole bunch of pagan traditions to feed all the desires of your flesh. Mm-hmm. All right, that Christmas has absolutely nothing to do with the real Jesus. Sure. Okay, the real mm-hmm. Jesus was born probably on Feast of Trumpets, but but it doesn't even say in Scripture. We just know for a fact it wasn't December twenty-fifth. Mm-hmm. It was in the fall, right? It was born in the fall. Uh, that's a side note, but, but the bottom line is the, the, the Messiah had to be born, right? So the Messiah is born in the middle of history, and then, um, and then the first major event, right, for the first covenant to be fulfilled, the first covenant had to be fulfilled, by the way, in order for a second covenant to be avail- made available, right? Why? Because that's how perfect God is. God would never just do away with one covenant because it didn't quite work out, right? It had to be fulfilled. And what was, what was required in the first covenant? A man had to live a perfect life. 
had to walk in God's commandments perfectly. So what was needed for that to happen? A, a, a savior to be born as a human child, grow up as a man, and walk unblemished. Right? Enter Jesus. This is all Revelations chapter 5. Yeah. Taking the scroll, you know, in, in the, from the hand of the one who sits on the throne. The line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He's worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. And yeah, hallelujah. That's one of the most amazing passages in all the scripture. Read it. It's good for you. Yeah. Revelation, <laughs> Revelation chapter 5. All right, so, so Jesus comes on the scene. He walks in God's commandments perfectly. What does that mean? That means that every single one of God's commandments, his perfect law, his perfect ways, all of his statutes, his judgments, his precepts, all of his appointed times, Jesus kept them all perfectly. That's why we see him celebrating Passover. That's why we see him at the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. He kept God's appointed times perfectly. If he would have missed one appointed time, he is no longer our sin offering and we are all going to hell. If we would have changed any of God's commandments, a single one of them in any way, he's no longer our sin offering and we're all going to hell. Right? Now you, now you, now you recognize how big Jesus is, right? Yes. Just in case anyone's hearing this for the first time, sometimes when I know when I was first hearing this, I was always thinking, oh yeah, God's commandments, and immediately I was thinking, oh yeah, the Ten Commandments. So I'm just There's saying, more. it's more than Ten Commandments. And we'll get into more, you know, as the Spirit leads, but. But, but just for, just for clarity, it's it, not just, just more to it. Obviously, the um, appointed times are not in the Ten Commandments, but they are part of the law. Right? There's lots of things that are not in the Ten Commandments, but they're still a part of the law. Okay, so um, one of the most amazing things about our uh, sin offering is that the moment he was crucified, and I'm talking literally to the minute, guess what date it was? Okay? It was not Good Friday. Good Friday is not in the Bible. It is a totally made-up, man-made tradition. Jesus did not die on Good Friday. Jesus died on Passover. Why is that so amazing? Because 1,500 years earlier, God appointed one day of the year, Nisan 14, and told the Israelites, this is when you kill an unblemished lamb to mark your homes. That's the exact same day that Jesus died. The most, one of the most amazing miracles in all of Scripture, and it was stolen from us because Satan said, "Why don't you do Good Friday?" Right? Good Friday means absolutely nothing. All it does is lose the reality of the miracle that Jesus died on Passover. You see how crafty he is? He just steals stuff from us. All we got to do is expose it, though. That's right. Right? So Jesus died literally on the exact same day. And what does that give us? Um, what should that give us um, eyes to see? And here's, here's sort of the big picture snapshot. Every one of these appointed days, there's three in the spring, there's three more in the fall. We'll talk about those another time. Every one of these that got appointed in the very beginning, certain significant singular events had to happen within the larger redemptive story to see the overall will of God carried out. Right? The overall will of God is that everything would be reconciled back unto him. One of the major things to make that happen was God had to deal with the broken human heart, right? In order for God to deal with the broken human heart, the first thing that he had to do was fulfill the first covenant because mankind could not do that. What does that prove? It proves that mankind needs a Savior, right? Father God is doing everything to glorify the Son. 
The son glorifies the father, the father glorifies the son. The whole story sets up how amazing Jesus is for you and I, right? Old covenant could not be fulfilled without him. So Jesus comes and fulfills the old covenant by dying on Passover as the true unblemished lamb. And what that atonement buys for you and I is an opportunity to have a heart transplant. Right? This is the whole invite Jesus into your heart part of the sermon, even though that's totally unbiblical too. Uh, there is something that takes place right? when you commit your life to, when you hear this gospel invitation correctly, the Spirit will lead you to a repentance. And what the Bible does say is that literally your wicked old creation, old man heart is removed and you are given a new heart. Right? This is Ezekiel 36. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Right? That is only available because the first covenant was fulfilled by the true unblemished lamb. And in fulfilling the first covenant, he establishes a second covenant. In the second covenant, the law of God does not change. Why does the law of God not change? Because it's perfect. The law was not the issue. Our heart was the issue. Once we have a heart transplant, guess what the law brings? Life, relationship, blessings. Everything that was promised originally in Deuteronomy 30 is 100% still in place. You hearing this? That blessed life, that incredible life that's favored and blessed and like a city on a hill, as Jesus Christ, it's 100% still available. The beauty is, is once you are born again, right, you actually have a heart that wants to obey. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That is the blessing and the inheritance of our new heart. The, the Word of God says that my law is written on that new heart, and I'm going to give you something else that leads us to today. All right, by the way. It's not a coincidence that even though that once Jesus dies, actually on Passover, guess when he is raised from the dead? On first fruits. Why? Because Jesus is the first fruits of new creation. And everything about God's appointed times ultimately is a type and shadow. All of this in the beginning represented something larger going on in the end, in, in the larger redemptive story. So first fruits was not a coincidence. It was going to be the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. As the first fruits of new creation, or as Adam, as Paul calls him, the Adam of new creation, the first fruits from the dead, right? New creation has begun when Jesus walked out of the tomb. Hallelujah. Okay, so so um, what we should then, if, if you're beginning to hear what I'm speaking, what you should have assumed is that something significant was going to happen 50 days after Jesus died as the true unblemished lamb, right? Because this is how God works. His appointed times that we've been commanded to keep forever, those are the days that he does big things in the larger redemptive story. So guess what happens exactly 50 days after Jesus died as the true unblemished lamb? Holy Spirit's given. Now, this is what's so important. The beginning uh, happenings on these appointed times, they're given to us as what the author of Hebrews calls a type and a shadow, meaning that they, that they represent something larger and they help us to see and understand what the larger thing does or is for or is, you know, what the purpose of it is. All right? So we can, we can use this original story to help us understand what's why the Spirit's given at Pentecost. 
right? But before we do that, um, let's pretend that we are like most of the rest of the Bride of Christ, and we have not been taught this. We have not been shown this, right? We have not been taught the appointed times. We've not uh, seen uh, how these things represent the larger redemptive story, and all we have to go off of is modern preaching regarding what was Pentecost for, what was what, why? Why Pentecost? Right? We all read Acts chapter 2. We know about the, the disciples being in the upper room and they're in one accord and they're praying and all of a sudden what? The Spirit of God is poured out and, and they start speaking in tongues and yeah. you know, everyone thought they were drunk and, and Peter you know, gives his first sermon and 3,000 are saved and we all have heard that, you know, that sermon before. And, and if you... Um, if you take those sermons, and I'm only speaking from my own experience, or you, or you take any sermons regarding Pentecost, and, and why the Spirit was given at Pentecost, uh, what would be your answer? If you, if you take the sermons that you have heard regarding Pentecost as to why the Spirit was given at Pentecost, what would be your answer? I think that's the I think that's the number one answer. Yeah. For the gifts, the, um, God gives His Spirit at Pentecost so that we can have the gifts of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts, yeah. right? Okay. That's right. that's basically that's almost yeah. every sermon I've ever heard at Pentecost has been regarding the gifts. Yeah. God wants you to, to operate in gifts. Okay, so here's this is how the enemy works, right? The enemy always offers a little bit of truth, slightly you know, uh, slightly off off track. Yeah. Because the gifts are real and the gifts are significant, but um, but we need to understand the, what the whole Word of God says about the Spirit and the giving of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Because because here's the truth, and, and, and um, I'll share this with you. Um, the gifts of the Spirit, which are uh, prophecy, speaking in tongues, um, gift of healing. Words of knowledge. Um, what am I forgetting? There's a hand. There's a handful of them. Um, they are spoken about in the Bible two times. They they are taught on in the Bible two times. Never before the Spirit is given prophetically. Only after the Spirit is given. Paul talks about the gifts in two places: Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in both of those, he spends about a half a chapter kind of describing the gifts and how they are used to edify the body, right? So are the gifts real 100%? Are they to be used and, and operated in for the sake of edifying the body? 100%. Yeah. And we've all experienced those, right? And they're wonderful and they're, and they're um, encouraging as they're supposed to be, yeah. right? But the reality is, is... If you took, from a percentage standpoint, everything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and why God gives His Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit is a tiny, tiny percentage yeah. of why the Spirit's been given. A tiny percentage. Two chapters in the whole Bible. Right? So, so, um, so to put all of the emphasis of the Holy Spirit on the gifts of the Spirit, that's a twisting of the truth. That's not... That's not why God gave his spirit at Pentecost. Right? Even though that's all we've ever been taught. Why? Because it's fun. It, it draws a crowd. It's exciting. You know, it's, it's the stuff that's cool. Right? 
re in reality, it's the stuff we all want to do. Yeah. Right? But we have to but we have to allow the word of God to better inform us about why the spirit was given. All right? And and the best way to do that, and this is specifically why God gives us the holy days, is to look at the original story, because everything in the original, by the way, is in the natural. Right? In the natural, things are very easy to see. It's easy to see in the original, the natural story of Passover. You can, you can literally picture someone killing a lamb and marking their home and the, and the angel of death flying over and seeing the blood and not killing them. That's easy to see because it's in the natural. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so what we see in the natural at, at the Shemot is God literally physically giving the law, right? And what was the purpose of the law? Again, this gets right down to the heart of the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What was the purpose of the law? For relationship. For relationship with God. To define a relationship with God. To put, to put flesh and blood in where the rubber hits the road. Uh, this is how you be God's people. This is how you let God be God and, and you be his. Right? This is a this is the marriage covenant, marriage relationship details. Right? So if so if we only used the original picture right here of, of the law being given to define and help us walk in physically, literally, day-to-day, -day, walk in that set-apart life to the Father, now what do you think the Spirit is given for? Right? It's, it's literally the exact same thing. It's always the exact same thing. This is just a bigger and more um, all-encompassing reality. All right? And this aligns perfectly with the rest of the Word of God. I'm going to give a whole bunch of scriptures here, all right? Um, and, and just a basic uh, explanation of prophetically what the what the what the whole word of God says regarding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Alright? Because the, the Holy Spirit is prophesied about several times in the Old Testament. Yeah. Jesus to give some very in-depth teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the so the um, the giving of the Spirit, if we allowed the Word of God to inform us as to why the Spirit is given we'll have a better understanding of what he's given for, right? And so, and I can give anyone, anyone wants these, I'll, I'll give them to you. Just, just, uh, I'll email them to you, whatever. So, um, Isaiah 32 talks about when the spirit is given, he will move us into living justly and righteously that will result in peace. Isaiah 44 says when the spirit comes, it will give us proper understanding of what it means to believe in God. Jeremiah 31 says that when the Spirit is given, it will move us into obedience to God's law. Ezekiel 36 says that when the Spirit is given, I will move you to keep God's law, to walk in His judgments, His statutes, and His precepts. Zechariah 12 says that when the Spirit is coming, it will give us eyes to see what Jesus did and therefore move us into um, uh, cleansing us from sin and impurity. Joel chapter 2, the one... Um, sort of Old Testament reference to a gift of the Spirit. Um, he says it will properly, uh, when the Spirit is given, we will properly see both what is happening and what is to come. Then when Jesus begins to, to preach about the, the, um, the Holy Spirit, basically John 14, 15, 16, and 17, the last um, kind of message from Jesus there before he, before he goes to the cross, talks a whole bunch about the Holy Spirit, a number of the things that he says, John 14, 
He says that the helper will come and teach us the truth and help us to obey. In John 14, he will help us to understand everything that Jesus taught. In John 15, he will testify to us regarding Jesus so that we stay the course. John 16, he will convict us of guilt in regards to our sin, righteous judgment that will lead us into all truth. And, and the, even the word that Jesus uses when he describes the Holy Spirit, like he could have used, obviously, any word, you know, any word to, to kind of label the Holy Spirit. But what's the label that he gives him? Anyone know? Spirit of truth. But the one that he refers to the most is helper. Right? And helper is taken from the Greek word of paraclete. And a paraclete basically is one who comforts, encourages, exhorts, one who advocates as an intercessor or pleads our case, one who guides us, teaches us, or points us in a direction. Okay, so we're talking prophetically in the Old Testament and specifically from the mouth of Jesus. What is the purpose of God's Spirit? Why are we given God's Spirit? Right? Looking at the whole Bible, not just specifically what happens at Pentecost in the in the kind of the miraculous manifestation that happens there. If we if we took the whole word of God and, and boiled down why is God's spirit given, what's the answer? Help us to obey. To help us to obey. Exactly, exactly right. So so look at how amazing this is. Regarding the second covenant in particular. What was needed? What was needed um, to be dealt with that could not that that clearly mankind could not do in the first covenant, right? It wasn't a lack of clarity, right? The clarity is a hundred percent there, always has been, always will be, right? It wasn't um, specific instruction on what was being offered, right? There is there should be no ambiguity regarding what. Loving God looks like what relationship with God looks like what being set apart to God looks like the, the 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 biblical word that describes everything that I just mentioned is holiness right holiness means set apart unto the Father it means specifically walking in His ways keeping His commandments knowing His statutes His judgments His precepts basically everything that God defines as this is how my people live. Walking in those ways the Bible calls holiness, right? Holiness has always been God's expectation. It's always been what he's demanded of his people. And according to Deuteronomy 30, it's very specifically what God blesses. Does that make sense? And so he, we have this whole Old Testament story in which all that is laid out clearly, but nobody can achieve it. Nobody can do it. God's ways are just not possible according to Israel's example, right? Yeah. right? So, so that story ends bitterly, right, with only a prophetic promise that God's going to make a way. Yeah. God, God's not surprised by this. God's got it all figured out. There's a larger plan, story, uh, will that's being played out here, right? Enter the, the Messiah. He's born a, a man and lives a perfect life, which qualifies him to be our unblemished land, the true sin offering, and by his death he fulfills the first covenant. He does not do away with the law. He specifically said, I did not come to abolish the law. 
I came to fulfill it. Right? Those two things are not mutually exclusive. They, fulfilling the law does not abolish it. Does that make sense? That's super, super important. People have mispreached that passage over and over and over again because all Satan wants is us to not walk in God's ways. Right? So the law has not been abolished. It, the first covenant was fulfilled by a man that lived it, walked it out perfectly, but what that opened up and established is a second covenant. Right? This is the, this is the gospel invitation. There is something that's now available to you in the form of a heart transplant, and if you choose to have the courage to admit that I cannot love God, I cannot keep His commandments, I cannot worship Him, I have no desire for His Word, I have no desire for holiness, I have no desire for anything of God, that's what the flesh, if we're totally honest, will always say. The Bible is very clear about that. The flesh is at war against God. Hates the things of God, cannot understand the things of God. So the true repentant moment is when you come to grips with that. And when you have come to grips with that truly and honestly, the only thing you can do is cry out for help. And it's at that moment that God exchanges your heart. And he says of the new heart that he puts in you, he said, my law will be written on it, inheritance gift number one. And then 50 days later, you are going to get gift number two. And it is going to be the most significant, amazing gift you can possibly imagine. What is it? I'm going to literally baptize you with my spirit. And what's the whole Bible say that the spirit of God has given to us to do? Help us obey his word. Help us keep his commandments. Help us walk in his statutes and his judgments and his precepts. And what does God promise what do we do? What? Life. Life. The most amazing life available. Do we need to read Deuteronomy 30 again? Because it's a promise that's available to every one of us. And God has gone to unbelievable, miraculous lengths to make an amazing life available to us. Not only has he made his his commandments clear but he's put his spirit in us to follow them I mean the only way we cannot do that is to rebel and we can every day right so here's what's amazing God says regarding Pentecost I want you to keep that as an appointed time every year what would that do to the bride of Christ if every year we got together on Pentecost Right, which, which all the word of God commands is that we have a holy convocation. That's what it says regarding several of the, of the appointed times. A couple of them, there's very specific instruction on what to do. Others, it just says have a holy convocation. Do no customary work. Right, so what's that mean? It means we're supposed to come together and recognize that time for what it is. Recognize what God's done at that time. And, and, and you know, what we have done in our family is we've used these days as a way to preach to our kids the gospel message, right? That's entirely the purpose of the Holy Days. It's not to look better than anybody else. It's not to be cool. It's not to be Jewish. It's not to be, you know, any of that ridiculousness. This is God's gift to us to get us on his same page to recognize the larger redemptive story and these massive events that have happened within it to help us see what's going on. What God's done, what he's in the process of doing, and the gifts that he's given to help us walk it out. 
right? So we're going to get together tomorrow, which is Pentecost, and, and we're going to have um, a holy convocation. All right, my family is going to have communion at the park in the morning at, I think we said 8.30, um, and anyone that wants to is welcome to join us, right? If, if you already have something planned or you, you know, you're, you're sleeping in or whatever, that's 100% no problem, um, just be obedient. The Word of God says to get together, and you can do that with two guys, you can do that with 50 guys, it doesn't really matter, but my advice to you is to be obedient to the word of God that says this is an appointed time that my people keep and um, what you do during that time I would just say be led by the spirit we've done something different every time you know um, there's some there's some teaching opportunity obviously if you have kids there is prayer opportunity obviously that's that's what the disciples were doing they were the Bible just says they were in the upper room they were in one accord and they were in prayer and supplication. So so that's asking, that's asking God. So what is the Spirit given? The Spirit is given to empower and enable the people of God to walk in obedience. So what better way to honor Pentecost than to come together with some guys and pray for that help? I mean, that's literally what it was for. That's what the day was for, to pray for God to help us walk in His ways, keep His commandments, so that we can have the life that he promises us. You know, one of the things that we see in scripture is that there are men who just walk in God's ways. Right? They just walk in his ways. They are just men that are set apart. They are different than the rest of the world. And they are different for one reason and one reason only, and that is they obey the commandments of God. And of those men, they, it seems like they just kind of come up. It's more than generationally, and there's more than just the ones mentioned in Scripture. But man, when they are mentioned in Scripture, their lives are incredible. Because God promises they will be. Right? Have you ever known someone who's, you know, you know you're walking in, you will know that you are walking in God's ways when it's beginning to be said about your life. Dude, what is, why is that family so blessed? Right? You should want that. You know, we kind of sometimes have this false humility, like to be a follower of Jesus, you gotta be you gotta be broke and you gotta be simple and you gotta be you know miserable most of the time. And the Bible says the exact opposite. It says you're you will have life abundant, you will be blessed, you will be a city on a hill. He says, I will call heaven and earth as witnesses, and this is what's also true. And this is spoken about throughout the Old Testament. If you choose to call yourself one of God's and you don't walk in his ways, that curse on your life will literally also be put on display. Listen to me. The Bible says that I will make your life a proverb, meaning that people will learn how real this all is by the calamity in your life. Right? I think about guys in, in this room that are, that are called to ministry. Right, you 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 um, accept the invitation to call to a call to ministry, and you don't walk in God's ways. I promise you, calamity is coming, yeah. because God's going to prove He's real in one way or another. Yeah, by our disobedience. Exactly right. You're something something very visible is going to happen in your life based on your obedience and your disobedience, because God wants His glory, and He will easily and happily glorify Himself 
by causing your life to suck if you do not walk in his ways. Right? You blog about God a lot. You, you connected yourself to him. This applies to you big time. Same with you. You've got a business called Kingdom Development. You've connected yourself to the Father. Everyone that's got a ministry call in their life, you've connected yourself. You've got a business now, salt and light. Right? And that's true of every one of us, regardless of what, you know, we do for a living. We call ourselves His, don't we? Yes. So we walk in His ways. That's more important than any bumper sticker you could put on your car. That's more important than any post you could make on, make on Facebook. It's more important than any Bible study you go to, how many church services you go to. None of that matters. None of it. Obey his word. Starting tomorrow. So many people have heard me preach this. And you know what they do tomorrow? Nothing. Same thing. <laughs> because that's what the church does. They want all the information. They want the knowledge. But they never apply it, and they wonder why they don't see anything. Yeah. Right? And cherry pick. Yep. This works for me. This doesn't. This will be confusing to people. This will offend people. Yeah. This is what my family always does. It's too uncomfortable. It's too uncomfortable. People are going to think I'm a fanatical yeah. weirdo. If the world, if the world, and I would specifically argue, if the lukewarm church does not see your life as fanatical or weird or over the top, you are not walking in God's ways. I promise you that. Yeah. I wanted to add something about something that was uh, <coughs> shown to me this week, kind of, is, is I was thinking about the life of Paul, how he was before, and when he received the Spirit, and he walked in the ways like a Jehu or a Eliezer, and he wasn't necessarily, his troubles didn't stop when, in fact, they got worse. And so when, what was shown to me this week is that I think the, the wor I don't know, like the worldly church format, formula or whatever, tells us that we need to try to appear in the flesh to others in the ministry and try to persuade them and try. And I was shown very clearly this week that although I was very sick or I was put in a situation where I just... I wasn't on like I wanted to be. The Lord worked like, and they saw something different in me, and I didn't have to. I didn't have to try in the flesh to do it. It Absolutely. just, just walk in His ways, and Absolutely. no matter what's happening, they'll see it. That they'll see the difference. Yep. See, the, one of the things that um, the enemy has twisted. Uh, Paul Paul speaks often about, um, you know, when I came and I and I spoke, I didn't just use words. I used you saw power. You saw signs and wonders, right? And, and that's what, and that's the message. Is it's all about signs and wonders. If you can do a miracle, you know you're doing it right, right? And absolutely nowhere in Scripture does it say anything like that. In fact, most of the miracles in Scripture are done by people that aren't connected to God at all, right? Or many of them, I would say. So, so when Paul says a sign and a wonder, what's he actually talking about? Well. What the Lord has convicted me of and, and, and how I would describe that now more than ever is the, the greatest wonder there is, is a transformed life, yeah. right? It is impossible to fake or to manipulate or to embellish a transformed life, right? There's nothing, there's nothing sexy about keeping Passover. Nobody will give you a pat on the back for it. You won't sell books. You won't, 
you know, you can't do conferences about it. There is no conferences selling <coughs> obedience, <laughs> right? There, there's no schools of obedience. There's no schools of holiness. There's schools of prophecy. There's schools of, of healing. The cool stuff. Right, the cool stuff, but there's absolutely no precedent in Scripture for those, right? None. There's no schools for prophecy in Scripture. There's no schools for healing. There's no techniques being taught by anyone in Scripture about how to heal someone. There's lots of techniques being taught right now about how to heal Right? And if you've ever heard someone say, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for your knee. Just pray a few times. Now what's your what's your this is what I uh, what I keep saying. What's your pain level right One now? One to ten. Oh it's an eight, I'm gonna pray again. Now what do you feel? Oh it's a seven? Okay, we're gonna keep praying. Nowhere in scripture is anything like that ever done. And what does it ultimately do? It makes this person feel so uncomfortable that oh maybe it is feeling better. Oh, maybe it's a four. We're good. Right? It's such BS. There's no, there's no place for it. The, the, um, and we'll get to ministry in probably two or three weeks because, because ministry flows directly out of obedience in the way it's supposed to. Right? But what the Spirit is given for, more than anything, and what Pentecost is ultimately all about, is God wants His people to walk in His ways, and He has gone to the incredible length of literally putting His Spirit in us to guide us into that, that life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 19, verse, verse 13. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the temple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are truly righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, they much fine gold, sweeter also, and honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Amen. Any time that we choose to follow the path, follow Jesus with our own heart, he's always got something. He's always got something. It's promised to us. Yeah. Right? And to, to Kyle's point, too, I want to finish that thought. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Kyle used the word persuade. <laughs> In um, the, the Greek word that they translate to selfish ambition, which is a, one of the fruits of the flesh, like fruits of the stuff that we don't want to walk in, um, the, the word that they translate to selfish ambition basically is the word persuade. So if any part of you feels like you've got to your, your, your job is to persuade anyone of anything, or, or the word is, they also use um, kind of a definition of wrangle or campaign, um, that's of the flesh. That's not what the Spirit leads us to do. What, the, what does the Spirit lead us to do? Walk in God's ways. Mm -hmm. Right? So when Paul said, um, you know, a, a sign and a wonder, you know what the Old Testament reference refers to as the single greatest all-encompassing sign of all of the people of God's connection to God? Mm -hmm. Anyone know what it is? That, keep this out. The greatest sign. In, in all the earth, the greatest sign that you belong to the Father is keeping the Sabbath. Think about that. Resting on Saturday. Resting on Saturday. And gathering on Saturday. And how much does the Bride of Christ, the current Bride of Christ, honor the Sabbath? Almost, I'd say it's probably almost exclusively ignored. Right? First of all, there's no even understanding that, that Saturday is the Sabbath. Everyone thinks it's Sunday, which is not. It's Saturday. 
right? They think that um, the, the day that we should gather is Sunday. It's not. It's Saturday. You can gather on Sunday. In fact, you can gather every day. There's absolutely nothing wrong with gathering every day. But what the enemy has done, and, then, and Daniel chapter 2 says that he will do this, it says that the enemy will come and seek to change the law and the times. So what has he done? He's literally, the devil has changed the Sabbath. Right? Through the Roman Catholic Church. We're going to make the, 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 the day that the people of God gather is now going to be Sunday. That literally changed the law. It's totally unbiblical. And it's, and it's regarding what the Bible describes as the single most visible sign that the people of God are united. That we all keep the Sabbath. And how many people do it? Is it any wonder that that is, the, that is the, probably the most stolen commandment there is? And it's interesting because what's the difference, right? I mean, yeah. what's the difference between meeting on Saturday or Sunday? Exactly. Why, why would it be so important? That's the argument. Right? Like to, the argument. To, no, but, but I'm just saying, like, if it wasn't important, then everybody just would have stayed with Saturday. Absolutely. It was important to the enemy, yep. so he Great made point. sure that it switched. Great and now people fight it tooth and nail. Yeah, yeah that's good. So. Yeah, and I would also argue with, uh, kind of like with what Kyle said, uh, the second you said it, it just, it's been something that's been on my heart. Uh, it's because some people say, well, as long as I rest, I'm just not going to do anything. But, I mean, yes, it is the Lord's day. And, and I do think that tomorrow, or as they need to say, as it enters into this evening, into this this appointed time that God has that says that the Holy Spirit will give it's, it's already, if you are truly a, a, a believer, you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, he will guide us to what does it truly mean to rest. And, and I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm really I'm really after that one right now because of, well, I can't remember what verse it was, but where it says, and when you rest, I will refresh. And I'm thinking, man, so you know, literally, like God expects us to go, hey, go work six days. You go to, tomorrow, Sunday, it's the first day of the week. Go out, get productive. But I will, it's almost like there's there's such blessings in what he's trying to do. And that word refresh really hits me with, I don't know how many, was that like a month and a half ago we read that piece of it? Where it's like, God will give us what we need, but if we don't understand what it means to rest, it's kind of like the, you want to say the reaction of rest is refresh. Just coming to church for you know, two hours on a Saturday night is not all encompassing of honoring the Sabbath, I don't believe. It is just one piece of that. But there's so much more that I do believe that we God have wants just to show chosen, us. chosen to kind of culminate our Sabbath by gathering as a congregation, but Except when tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is not a Sunday to work. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow is also Any other Sunday, tomorrow is for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, what are you going to say? Let, 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 let us not forget that the, it was set apart to yeah. him exactly right. for rest. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the commandment is actually not to, the commandment isn't rest. The commandment is remember yeah. the Sabbath to keep it holy. And what that means is that the Sabbath is already holy. Right, the Sabbath is such a critical day because it establishes the God of the Bible as the Creator God. Right, because He established the Sabbath at the creation. Right, and so that's one of the things the enemy is trying to steal is is the God of the Bible being the Creator God. If He can steal the Sabbath, that removes that little link of the the one God, the one true living God, being the, the Creator of the earth. Right, and this is why of all of the Ten Commandments. This is the one Satan has stolen because it's the most unique one that connects the God of the universe to the creation account. Does that make sense? He could steal, he could try and steal Dashan and murder, that have zero impact. He could steal don't cheat on your wife, that have zero impact. But for him to steal the Sabbath has massive impact. Right? 
And so the, the commandment is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What is that? That means that we understand the creation account and what God did. Right? It means we have awareness of that. We have understanding of that. We have a, a knowledge that he rested on the seventh day. What's the seventh day? Saturday. Sunday is the first day of the week. So Saturday is and always has been the seventh. Just that understanding right there sets you apart. But I don't right? think he said that there was a day, the days of the week is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. So how do you know it's actually Saturday? The, the Gregorian are you talking about the calendar? Yes, yes. That, that was brought in by by people, Constantine. Yeah, I mean, so when, the, when, when and how days. the days were, yeah, yeah, were yeah. numbered, I mean, right. I'm not, I don't even have an answer to that question. <laughs> okay. but, but obviously, the um, to, to Seth's point, to just say um, God just wants a rest day so yeah. I can choose whatever day works best in my schedule, there's absolutely zero commandments that, oh, he gives, that he gives that kind of leeway for. There's no place in God's word that says, take this idea and let it fit into your life. He, he's the exact opposite. He says, this is what it is. Your, my expectation is, is your obedience. And so, and so the Sabbath being the seventh day is very important because, again, that's what connects him to the, to the uh, creation account. So for us, we are not to have a rest day. We're to keep the Sabbath because it's already established. It already is. It's basically our way of saying God's God and we're his people. He's set this part of day, set this day aside for himself and for us to keep it holy, which means set apart unto the Father. One of the instructions on how we do that is to do no customary work. So that's, a, so that's one of the simple ways that we know we honor the Sabbath. We don't work on that day. What else does it entail? That's totally led by the Spirit. And He will lead you into more understanding, more revelation, more clarity, because it's constantly evolving for us as well. The, the one thing that we know is that uh, we're going to honor it. And, 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 and that in honoring it, we know that we're honoring the Father. We know that there's blessings involved with that. But more than anything, we are experiencing this is the, this is the love of the Father. That when you truly honor the Sabbath and you truly keep it the way it's intended to be kept, it is an unbelievable gift. I mean, an absolutely unbelievable gift. You will have um, the refreshment that, that Diane spoke about that is in Scripture is something that is, it cannot be described. Yeah. It's so much more than I just didn't work this day. It's, and, it's, and it's in alignment with every one of God's commandments. When you obey them and walk in Him, there is so much divine favor that is given that's, it's not the prosperity gospel crap. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just God's promises that if we walk in his ways, you'll be blessed. And, and there's blessings available to us, like, like the word says. It's not outside of our reach. It's right in front of us. It's that simple. If you choose to walk in it, you will experience something that the whole world is searching for. And we have to know that our Father God is all-knowing of each of us. And so what... I might consider to be my blessing is not what God is blessing you. Does that make sense? Like when people talk about tithing, like, well, if I give money, then God's going to give me more money to get more. That's not, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like the blessings are by God's choosing how he blesses us. And I do know sometimes people put too many earthly blessings on it. Like, oh, well, you know, I have this, so I must be blessed. Like, well, I don't know. Quite frankly, sometimes a house is a curse because you've got a mortgage with it. I mean, like, depending on what it is. So, you know, it's, it's it's God's blessings. Sometimes and, blessings are Yeah, so you gotta watch out what you're calling a blessing. And, and I do think that again we have this opportunity that is 
just literally, you know, coming within the hours of, of having um, just the Holy Spirit lead us into, and, and it's always that next step, and, and obviously we've got people in here who they're, they're I, I wrote this down, they're, they're, your enslavement was probably an addiction. But that doesn't mean that my enslavement can't be I was a workaholic. Or that my enslavement wasn't that I'm so concerned about X, Y, or Z. Right. So if, if there is even something that you are still holding onto, I guess, that, that slave piece of it, um, I just think that the Holy Spirit's got something big. He really does. I mean, when we've seen, as long as we make ourselves available on his days and on his times, Man, let God do what God wants to do it. Yeah. So, I, I just pray that yeah, we all have a faith piece. Just, just a flat-out faith uh-huh. piece that tomorrow's an appointed time. Yep. If, if you leave with no other awareness, no other <laughs> conviction than just tomorrow's an appointed time, oh, somehow, some way, God uses it yep. to open our eyes to the larger redemptive story and to help us better engage it. Just leaving with that is a huge victory because the Spirit will take over from there. As long as you press into it, don't. Don't ignore it, like we said. Um, press into it however the Spirit leads. I promise you there's something there for you. There's, there's something there for all of us. Every year, every time, it never fails. Yes, Susie? I was going to say that um, I believe Darlene was asking about how do you know what day happens to be the Sabbath. If you go back into some of the, not the English language, but um, other languages, the, the root of Sabbath, is in the, the the day for Saturday in your language. Oh, okay. like Saturday, oh, like Saturday, Saturday. Yeah, you, you can find the roof in, in the Latin, more of a, a Latin term. I won't say, but um, and if I understand it correct, I wanted to answer that. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, and so I don't think it's an interpretation. I think it's it's a given. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then I was going to just say there was something that's just really hit me. You know, with both of those lines, was that God required, um, you know, um, and wanted obedience at Passover and at the law and the people were unable to do it while he was you know in the presence of God great point Uh, and when the second one um, was still the requirement that the people be waiting for the Holy Spirit and their obedience allowed the promise to be fulfilled, which was God's perfect plan. And it was those who gathered and followed um, what Christ was, the the true living lamb. Michael made that point like six weeks or so ago, sitting right over there. Mm -hmm. Their obedience to wait, you know, to not go out and do ministry but to wait until the Spirit was given, because if, if the Old Testament story shows us anything, it's that this is not a matter of will. And you know, then the 3,000 people had saved. a pillar of fire literally leading them. You know, they literally just walked through the parting waters of the Red Sea. They knew it was real. You know, it, but it's not a matter of will. And, and, and the same struggles took place. I mean, Peter denied him, the whole thing, but, you know, uh, he didn't... 
you know, he, he did follow through. And that's why the Holy Spirit is such an incredible gift. And that's why you know you are walking in the Spirit when all of a sudden you're keeping God's commandments. Right? You have a, you have a, a heart to keep His commandments. The, the Word says that I will put my Spirit in you and move you to obey my law. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. In fact, I would argue that you cannot know that you are born again and you will not know you, 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 um, to place your eternal salvation on the saying of the sinner's prayer is probably the, the biggest lie in our generation. And I think you have a whole, whole, a huge percentage of the church attending Bride of Christ that are literally placing their eternal security on the saying of a prayer and yet that prayer is nowhere in scripture, right? So, so how do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you are born again? Well, what the Bible promises of anyone that's authentically born again is that the Spirit of God is putting that in there. And what is that job the Spirit? What is the job of that Spirit? To move you to keep God's commandments. So the only way that you can know that you are saved, in my opinion, if you're gonna if you really want to judge the fruit, is do you have something inside of you moving you into alignment with the Word of God? And if that's the case, praise God, you're born again. And if you don't have that, it's time to repent. Right? Which is, I'm glad you said exactly what you said because it, it kind of, to me, the, the significance of acknowledging these days, these holy days, in remembrance, year after year after year, from today, going forward for the rest of my life, is so important. Because when I think of what Easter was to Passover yesterday, or my life yesterday, to what Passover is to Pentecost today, it's an entirely different, it means something entirely different. So tomorrow, when I think of what my what my activity, my what my what I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm waiting in expectation for a help. And I think when you say, when you share with us, and I truly believe that it is Lord to remember this every year, these holy days every year, that we should, on each one of these days, wait in eager expectation for what the Helper is going to do, for what the, the Lord is going to show us on those moments. Yep. Remarkable. Or we could just do nothing. Or we could just do nothing. Just go watch football and... Yep. Okay. If anyone would like to join us, it's an open invitation. We're going to meet... Um, remember where we did service at the park uh, a month or so ago on the back side of that little pond? It's yeah. not there. Well, it's not there, but it's at the <laughs> south end of the It's totally not there. Remember it? Forget it. That same pond, but at the south end. He says south, I say east, but basically it's on that. The far area down there. We walked by it today. It's the only one that's going to be shaded. It's going to be nice and shaded. We're just going to take it and do some burn up there. So 